This is the Fearless Pricing Podcast, where we meet and talk about real-life pricing experience. I'm your host, Filip Fucic. Pricing is hard. This is a podcast for fearless professionals and those who would like to feel that way. It's an unfortunate truth that most service pricing is created using either guesswork or copying other people's guesswork. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fearless Pricing Podcast. Today on what I should have charged is Tracy Borison. Tracy is a personal brand coach and one that is really, really focused on authenticity because in the digital world of today, the easiest path that you can take is to take somebody else's template and be just like them. And what Tracy firmly stands for is that's a really bad path to go because people are not interested in copies. People are interested in authentic individuals. And if you're going to have a personal brand, make it personal. Welcome to the show, Tracy. (laughs) Thank you, Philip. (laughs) I'm excited to be here. So could you please tell us your What I Should Have Charged story? Yes, I would love to tell you my What I Should Have Charged story. There's probably multiple of them, but the one that stands out the most to me is having this really awesome conversation, discovery call with the prospect and I'm going to get through all the good stuff, get to the part of the conversation where we're talking about what it costs. And I tell her the price and she goes, that's so cheap. (laughs) Like said it out loud. And in my head, I'm like, damn it. Can I say damn it on the show? (laughs) Yes. Shoot. (laughs) I should have charged more. And it was, although I'll be honest with you, it was kind of nice in the sense that it was the first time for me that I told somebody what I do and how long it takes and all those things and the price and someone had like really seen the value of it to the point where they thought that was cheap. And I think all of us have these people who can get the value because those are the things they're looking for. And there will always be people who don't get the value and you could tell them that it costs 20 bucks and they would be like, nope, I'm not going to pay 20 bucks for that. So while it is, a, a, I should have charged more story. And the whole time I was like, I'm charging more next time. <laughs> and actually since then I have charged more ever since that time. It was nice to finally get that external validation of saying like, oh yeah, okay, I know it's worth this. And now I know that other people know it's worth that as well. So kind of pros, cons. Um, I mean, validation is a slippery thing, except when it comes to payment, I think, because Mm -hmm. somebody can say, oh yeah, I really like what you do. You know, I I truly value your, your work money. No. (laughs) And I think at that point, like you might like my work, you might find it intriguing, you might find it interesting, you might find it entertaining, but you don't actually find it valuable Mm -hmm. because that's not something you need right now. And it also doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Mm -hmm. It just means that that my thing isn't valuable to that person right now based on all of the other important things that all humans have going on in their life. And I remember one of the things you taught me, Philip, was that if someone says yes too fast, that also means <laughs> it's too cheap. And it's always my favorite when you get into that point where there's like that uncomfortable silence and people are like thinking about it. 
you know, like, okay, well, that was not a hard no. And it was not an easy yes. So that's also good because it's not too cheap. So now we are in the realm of something that is actually meaningful to this client. And I mean, one of the things that I help people work on on the branding side is finding those people who can see your value so that you're not like, oh yeah, this costs X. And they're like, oh my God, I would never pay for that. (laughs) And they may not be that blunt to your face, but let's be honest. There are people who are thinking that. And the fewer of them that can get through to an actual discovery call or negotiation where they would be like, I will never pay anything close to what you're charging. Like we all just save time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't want it. I don't want to help you because you don't think you have the problem myself. So let's just part ways as friends and talk to the people who do see our value. I really like the, the phrasing there. So people who don't think they have that problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's not the same thing as people who actually don't have that problem. Yeah. I'm sure this is something you see a lot too, Philip, is that I, as a service provider, know you have this problem. I can see the symptoms. I can see how this is going to help you, but you can't see it. And I could talk myself blue in the face trying to convince you that you need it, but you don't think so. And that has a huge impact on what I think a lot of be- like beginner entrepreneurs feel like they can charge as well, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm like trying to impress everybody. So I'll just like create a solution or create a package for all people and then tell them it. And they'll be like, yes, I'm like, eh, no. Or people who try to, I have these people on, I have, there's a guy on my LinkedIn DMs right now trying to convince me that I need what he has. <laughs> I just don't, right? Or at least I think I don't. And you're convincing me or attempting to convince me isn't actually doing the job you think it's doing. It's creating a bigger gap <laughs> between the two of it us. It simply doesn't help. Even if the guy in your DMs is actually right, if you don't see it, you won't pay for it. That's not a thing. One of the tougher parts of my job is to talk to particularly engineers and tell them to their face that they being right doesn't really matter (laughs) when it comes to selling. And it's tough for them to understand because usually in their job, everything that matters is being right. And the ultimate thing, which is, somebody going to buy that knowledge or not, or the products of that knowledge, it doesn't really matter that much. If the client is unable to understand that you're right, you might as well be wrong. Well, maybe not from your like personal ego perspective, but from a charging for your services perspective. Yeah. If you're having a lot of moral victories, but no financial victories, then you just have to look at the balance of that. I'll be honest, especially when I was young, I'm a little bit better now. But I was like, shove it in your face that I'm right. (laughs) Let me show you how right I am about this and how wrong you are. It's nice for you to be like, I knew this. Good job, self. But if the reason you're presenting it is to help a person or to close a piece of business or to do those things, and it's not converting on those fronts, then how is it serving you? And then I think it's important to go back and look at like, okay, well, what if, what if I was wrong? What if I, or even what if maybe you are right, right? Maybe if I just like, don't 
try and shove this in someone's face that I'm right. Maybe I could get curious or maybe I could change the subject or maybe I could try something different, but just being right when it's having those negative air quotes, negative mm-hmm. impact is how is it serving you? I was the same. <laughs> I was absolutely enjoying the moments where I can do that. However, I've had my fill of moral victories only. And like you said, it doesn't serve anybody. And it's a really fun thing to tell among your colleagues because they could even appreciate it. So you have a moral victory. Great. You are right there. When people just start out, they want to create something that will help everybody, but There's also a very useful way to flip around and look at things. So I always ask, would you buy? I mean, like this has a big relationship, I think, to pricing, right? Because if you have to sell what you can at a price that you can to make the target income you're trying to make, pay your rent to whatever you're trying to earn that money for, then I feel like you make those trades, which you probably know better than I do. But one of the things I found for me, which is really in line with the what I should have charged story, is that there's things that I've done (laughs) that I can do. I'm quite good at them, but I don't like to do them. They're not meaningful to me. And so even though I quote unquote, got paid to do them. It didn't feel like I charged what I should have charged because there wasn't enjoyment with doing the task. And when you're starting a business specifically to make money and you're not looking at it from a perspective of, well, can I do something that's meaningful to me that I like doing? That's fun. I feel like you get caught up in that more so in that like, okay, I'm a virtual assistant. I need 20 clients at this retainer a month to like do the things. So I just like, I go and do it and I find whatever I can to like fill the gaps. And then it's not really related to you and your value, right? It's just related to someone somewhere or in a book somewhere you read that virtual assistants charge $25 an hour. Some of them charge $5 an hour. Right. And if it's not aligned with who you are, then I have to imagine the feeling of what I should have charged comes up much more often than if you actually look at, okay, this is me. This is my unique value as a service provider, as an expert. This is the value that people get from doing work with me. My pricing is based strategically around that information about me and how I serve. Then Sure. I mean, like I came across a scenario of what I should have charged. Maybe most people will in their experience, but it showed me, okay, I'm charging not enough. Let's charge more. Now people pay more and it is what it is. It's like a a learning curve versus a consistent uh, regret of like, oh, I should have charged more. Oh, I should have charged more. (laughs) Before we continue, I'd like to suggest two things. Firstly, if this is the first time you're tuning in, I'd love for you to subscribe and hear the next story in a week. And second, if you feel you could do with a little more fearless pricing content, look in the show notes for the link to the popular, short, and sometimes funny bi-weekly newsletter. 
that's it. Let's get back to the show. So I think you'll like the vocabulary around it called the fine. I'll do it. I call that sustaining work. So uh, as opposed to growth work and from sustaining work, money is the only thing that you get out of it. That's the definition. So you don't get enjoyment. You don't get growth as the name said. You also don't get any more opportunities. You don't open any doors. You don't meet any people that you would necessarily like to meet. You don't get any relationships. You don't get anything but money. And I think just to touch on pricing here, they're different because sustaining work doesn't necessarily have to cost more. However, it has to be completely consistent. So there's no creativity to be had in charging for your sustaining work. I have some projects like that and I know how much they cost and I'm not really known for giving discounts in general, but I also, I won't do sustaining work for charity. I will do growth work for charity, not a problem, but not sustaining work, right? Or for exposure or for anything like this. So I'm always happy to add another country to the list of countries that I work with. That's mm-hmm. growth work for me. Mm-hmm. That's interesting for me. Fearless pricing work is growth work for me. I, I get mm-hmm. better at it. But there are some things that I do for some projects that have very little to do with this, but have a lot to, to do with pricing. But they're done for a different audience and for a different reason that I, I'll do them. Because it pays the bills, it gets me closer to a nicer vacation, and that's sustaining work. So normally, the big difference is that the pricing policies should be different. As in sustaining work, you have to know what you're getting. And there was a very interesting example of this recently. So I have a friend that is a translator, and I was talking to her about sharing some news that a YouTuber offered revenue share for anybody who would translate his work into their languages. Now, if somebody was a translator and had no interest in that particular thing was anime, so anime shows, that would be sustaining work for them. And that would be a bad deal because the YouTuber was not offering to pay anything for the work, just revenue share. Mm -hmm. So that would be a big no-no because you might get some money and might not. However, if somebody was interested in anime or wanted to have a really solid reference there, then I'm not saying that always any amount of work is great for exposure. However, that could be really relevant exposure in that world. And then it could be growth work and then it could be a really good deal. Mm -hmm. Depending on what Tracy would say, how they themselves feel, not (laughs) what they should do or shouldn't do. So I think that's a really great example of this difference and how it matters for you personally, right? Yeah. Well, and I think too, this is a really great example that you gave, because I think a lot of times when people imagine what is sustaining work versus what is growth work, they think of tasks. Marketing content creation is always a thing that people ask me to do. And I don't do it anymore because I don't like being the voice of other people. I like being the voice of myself and I like helping people be the voice of themselves instead of having someone else write their stuff for them. Um, 
And I recently had a client and this is not a, what I should have charged story because I put her into it. Like this is sustaining work for me. I'm not going to have fun doing it. So it's going to cost you this. And she paid it. So then I was like, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. But it's like, it's not meaningful. It's not taking me where I want to go, right? It's kind of distracting me. And it's not that the translating for anime is sustaining or growth or that copywriting is sustaining your growth. It's that that's an individual's perspective. And when you tap into what would I do, what do I like to do? What is fun for me? What is meaningful for me? And build those categories of your own. Like, heck, there's probably virtual assistants who love sorting through people's mailboxes. I don't know. That sounds terrible to me. But if that's something that sounds fun for you, then that might be growth, right? And I might consider it like less than sustaining as in something I wouldn't even do and barely do for my own inbox. <laughs> it's about your own perspective. And I think that's an interesting addition into the conversation about what I should have charged because if Philip and I did the exact same thing, which we don't, but it was sustaining for me and it was growth for him, we might charge the same thing and he'd be like, oh no, that's good. I don't have this, what I should have charged because this is growth and I want it and I choose it. Whereas for me, I'd be like, oh, this is like not fun for me. I should have charged more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it's an interesting way for people to look at, you can probably use this question to look at what is sustaining work and what is growth work. One important phrase that uh, could enter the conversation here is the price for no. So mm -hmm. sometimes you want to price against something. So you want to basically dissuade people from paying you to do this. And it's kind of what you described. So this is not going to be fun for me. So yeah. <laughs> but you really want me to do it. So I'm going to charge you a ridiculous amount of money for me to do it. And if you agree, then okay. <laughs> I had a client like this and his company had a difficult experience with a client and then the client wanted more. He was afraid he would lose some people if he retained the client. And I said, let's just try it out. So he didn't need that money. So it would be nice, but he didn't need it. So the situation was perfect for a price for no. So I said, charge him so much that you can do your normal thing, get like 5% more profit for you, and then take the whole team to Bali from Australia to Bali is not that far for like a long weekend and say it to everybody. Look, I'm going to retain this guy and I know this is going to be difficult, but at the end of this, I'm just paying for Bali. Right. And it worked great because everybody knew this is Bali money. So he did get increased profits from it. Just he retained his team over it, I think a good price is from the client side, a price that they say thank you to and mean it long term. Right? Mm -hmm. If you remember working with somebody and you say, well, that was good value for money, it doesn't matter what their costs were or what their colleagues charged or nothing else matters, mm -hmm. right? 
that's a good price for the buyer. And for the seller is a price that you smile when you remember, oh yeah, that was nice, right? And if both of these things can be achieved with a single number, then nothing else matters. A process, yeah. It's a process, yes. And I think I really like talking to you because you put human uh, perspective front and center. And one of the things with personal brands, and especially with the price act aspect of personal brands, is just how not static they are. <laughs> As an expert 10 years ago, I was working in corporate and someone else was dictating what my time was worth. And it was interesting because you think about lawyers and things like that who get paid, mm -hmm. like they're billable hourly. Right. And, and a lot of us experts, when we're working in corporate, are not billable hourly. We just go and we have our eight or 10 or 12 hours that we work and we give our expertise. And that's what we quote unquote get paid for. And something that I think about quite often is that how many, like, I look at the percentage of my time now where I was doing like sustainable <laughs> things versus growth things. And I was doing growth things almost never, which is one of the reasons I left corporate because I didn't feel like I was reaching my potential as an expert. And nor was I being given any, like I was a senior vice president. I have knowledge. Right? Like I could show up and like tell people it and help people. <laughs> and that's not my place. Right? So I made it my place, I created my own place. But there's I don't know, maybe it's aggressive to call it like corporate trauma, <laughs> but it's our like corporate patterns that we bring into the world as an expert to say like, well, this is how people paid me for my expertise before, but people weren't really paying for your expertise before. They were paying for you to sit at a desk for eight hours a day, or they were paying you to manage these people, or they're paying you to do this book of tasks. They weren't paying you for your expertise. So there's also like a mindset shift in going and looking at like, what should I charge for this? Because most of my experience isn't directly related to my expertise. And now if I can take that expertise and create solutions for people that they can implement really quickly, then isn't that better than someone who can create a solution that you can implement really slowly? <laughs> and should I get paid more because I can help you do this faster instead of you get paid more because you help people do it slower. It sounds like logic, but we're also used to getting paid for our time that it's a hard transition to make when you're trying to figure out what to charge. One of the traps that people often fall into when they get out of corporate is that they don't remember that when you're on boss and when you choose yourself, there are such things as non-billable hours. Because yeah, there's non-billable hours when you're a lawyer toward a client, but every hour that you work counts in this way or that toward your employer. And when you're self-employed, no. <laughs> you might be working 50 hours and charging for 10. So when people say, oh, I'm just going to step out and I'm just going to charge double at what I'm right now, being paid and it's going to be great it's not because <laughs> that's only double if every hour that you work on is billable which is 
usually not even close, right? <laughs> it's just a huge, huge, huge mind shift. And I like what you said that people don't really pay you for your expertise in corporate. Mm -hmm. Nominally, in small ways, it shows up, but only the official part. So you have this certificate or that diploma, and now you get 5.7% higher. Well, and you know what? This is interesting because I've never really thought about this before, but like my background is marketing. There's tons of people in marketing go into freelance, yeah. right? So you're going to have to figure out what you charge. And when you work for an agency or you work for a corporation, like you just, you get paid a salary regardless of what you do, really, mm. <laughs> how much you do. And I mean, like the performance standards and all of that aside, you don't, your brain gets to be in like creative mode, in design mode, into all of these modes. And you don't think about the pricing. You just show up and you do your tasks. But if now the tasks that you do, you need to charge for, all of a sudden you're like, what do I charge for that. And then like, okay, I'll take my salary and divide it by the amount of hours I work and charge that per hour, but you're not billing for all of your hours. So that doesn't work. So then how do you need to balance this? And if you're like me, like I don't work 40 or 50 hours a week. I work 25 hours a week. And so knowing that there's another level of consciousness that comes into play in that like, I have to make this much money in a month to pay my bills and all of those things. And I only work this amount of hours a week. I only am going to bill for 10% of those. How do I build that? How do I create that pricing strategy for me that works to say, I can actually do that instead of just like, again, pulling one from a book or from a company you used to work for or somewhere else where you could learn it and say like, okay, I'll do this. Does that work for you? Back to the I part of this, right? This isn't a show about what we all should have charged. Mm -hmm. We all should have charged $5,000 <laughs> because if we all just charged $5,000, we'd be fine. No, that's not the point. The point is what should I have charged based on who I am, based on what I'm doing, based on how much time I can work, based on like the type of effort, sustainable or growth that I want to put into my stuff, right? Like how much time, like I really have to look at, I can't do that much sustainable work because I won't get to do any growth work and I'm not fine with that. Mm -hmm. Some people might be fine with that. I'm not. So this is really about like looking at all of those pieces and puzzling together what makes sense for you and how is that being reflected in your pricing policy so that you get to do what you want to do. Like you get to decide what your pricing strategy is. And if you feel like you're handcuffed into this lifestyle or business operation that doesn't match you, that doesn't feel good, that doesn't feel that you can scale it or based on wherever you're going, you can change it. Yep. Just like my story, right? I had that person say back at me, oh my gosh, that's so cheap. Damn it. I should charge more. And the next time I did, because I can, right? I can do that. It's another reason why I don't put pricing on my website because then people don't know what I charged last time. This is what it costs for you to do this. And I'm sure Philip has yay or nays about pricing on the website. But again, for me, it doesn't make sense because I like to have that freedom to change the price based on 
hey, yeah, what you're asking me to do is like 5% growth and 95% sustaining. So this is what it's going to cost. If someone else asked me to do the exact same task, but I thought all of it were growth related, maybe it's going to cost something different. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. But it's about having that like, like pricing empowerment. Like these are my prices. I own them. I can change them if I want. People have a feeling that copying price policies, as you said, from their employer or going great, not a big deal. But I have a theory that it is because it's a template. And I know Tracy really likes her templates. Yeah, I could talk for a long time about templates. Yeah, with your clenched teeth. If you copy a pricing policy, you have no real idea how it came to be. You could be inheriting a completely mismatching flexibility or a core message because some things are priced to be accessible. Some things are priced to be inaccessible. Some things are priced to be friendly. Some things are priced to be exclusive and mysterious. Is there really a difference between uh, using a price as a template and using a message as a template? No. (laughs) Okay. That that was great. Could you elaborate? A template is a template. A template is something that was created by someone else. And generally, I think the biggest problem with templates is it's almost always an average or a summary of lots of things. So people will say like, on average, humans talk about this at the beginning of an email, and then they want to hear this, and then they want you to call them to None of this is a thing, right? There is no average human experience. There's a way you talk to people. There's a way people hear you. I can't control how people hear me, but I can control how I talk to people, how I show up, the types of things I say, right? The types of pricing I offer, I can control that. A template, I'm not like, one one rule I like to say about Mark, it's always easier to create something from something than to create something from nothing. And so that is what templates are good for. It gives you a starting point to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. The problem is most people don't look at a template and ask themselves, what would I do differently here? Does this match my tone of voice? Does this match my pricing policy? Does this match? Does this feel like me? Does this feel like my brand? They just take it and say, fancy brand name that I won't mention here that charges all of the money to send emails on a monthly basis tells me that this is the template that you should use. And then guess what happens? Everybody uses that template and everybody sounds the same. (laughs) And that is the number one not to do rule in marketing is sound the same as everybody else. And I think it's the same with pricing. We get so concerned that this is how people are used to seeing pricing. Mm -hmm. People are used to seeing a coaching package in this, or people want to pay a monthly fee for a community or blah, 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 blah. But there's nothing that all people want. 
every single time I've come up with a new way to price something, there are people who are like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it this way. This is genius. And there's some people who think I'm out to lunch. The people who think I'm genius are the ones that I'm talking to, not the ones who think I'm out to lunch. Regardless of what you choose, regardless of whether you use the template or not use the template, somebody is not going to like you. Yeah. So you might as well, again, if you want to use it as research or whatever, you want to use chat GPT to say like, what are the top 10 things people in personal branding are talking about? And it tells you that's the human average of what people are talking about. But what do you think about that? How would you solve that problem? You have a unique perspective. You have a unique expertise to solve that problem. And if you have a unique expertise, then why would you price a unique expertise the same as the market? It just doesn't tell people with that message, you have a unique expertise. It tells people that you have the same expertise as everybody else. <laughs> Cause this is what the market says. Every single person is different. We might have likes or dislikes or experiences in common, but like I always say, like I went to university, I got a bachelor's of commerce degree. I don't even know how many other people got a bachelor's, a lot of them. <laughs> There's a lot of us that had that degree. There are zero of us that had the same experience getting that degree. Yeah. We had different teachers. We had different stuff going on at home. We have different extracurricular activities. We have different relationships. We have like, so Absolutely. we like our human brain likes to say, no, you're all the same, except no, we're all different. And when you're looking at pricing, the people you're targeting are different than everybody else. So what makes them different? What makes them say yes to a higher price point? What makes them say, no, I don't want to pay for that monthly. That sounds stupid. Can I just pay for it all in one? Yeah, heck yes. You, I would love to help you do that. There's just so much more to explore <laughs> than what you see at the store. Now I sound like I'm Dr. Seuss. <laughs> it's not like a grocery store where like you go to the store and the price is posted. You go to the checkout and you pay the price. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not expertise. Thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Tracy, where can people find you? People can find me on LinkedIn, Tracy Borison. My LinkedIn hashtag is a brand that speaks. I'm all about brands speaking for themselves. And part of that is your price. And if you look way back, you'll find some like some sessions that Philip and I did together. I can point you in the right direction if you want. Yeah. They're pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Keep listening, everybody. Uh, tell us about your community as well. Oh, yes. I have a community. It is called Your Business Peeps. And it is a community that is focused on building a digital authenticity. So it's like the practice gym for digital authenticity basketball. But it actually has nothing to do with sports. But imagine that. <laughs> a place where you can go to practice your authentic digital connection strategies based on who you are not one right way for all people so that you can show up as your authentic self online because that's who you are. It's a pleasure chatting with you, Philip. Thank you very much. And see you next time on what I should have charged. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, simply subscribe. Until next time, your host, Philip Wojcic.